0: Some of you have heard about our family and some have not. God has blessed us with five wonderful kids who love the Lord. And we have two girls and three boys. Our firstborn is Betty. She is 31. Uh, she's married and she's giving us our first baby, our first grandbaby in, in September. Our second born is Daniel. He, he works with a tour company in Kenya. Our third born is Philip. He is 27. He's a senior pastor in Kansas City. He's married. uh, They are serving the Lord in Kansas City. Our fourth-born is George. He is 25 and he's still in the college. Our last-born is a girl, Mercy. She is uh, still in college. We thank the Lord for our family. It is expanding. We started two. Then we went to seven. Now we are adding, uh, we just got a, a son-in-law, and now we have a, a daughter-in-law, now we are nine. And in September we'll be nine, we'll be ten, hopefully. And so we thank God for our family. He will be speaking, and before he speaks we are going to sing a song. Uh, in Kenya we have 42 tribal languages, and we are going to sing in one of those languages called Luo. The song is about God's... God's deepest love for us
1: hela need wano nya sye mon setiko no hera go heda ni do heda ni tout wano nya sae Quan ko no herago. ne na biro iri na biro ni ressa rwda niwara yesu suniti malo ne non biro iri na biro no no ni ressa rwda Diergi kuyo, tuo che duto, miri masunga, sunga, nye gogao, yande tuo ya. Diergi kuyo, tuo che duto, miri masunga, sunga, nye gogao, yande tuo ya. Nenabiro iri nabiro nono ni no sarwoda. Mi ke wara ra Yesu nitingamalo. Nenabiro iri nabiro nono ni re sarwoda. Mi ke sarwoda ra Yesu nitingamalo. Ruta hobi, ruuta kwa Yesu biwa ritonega kikiweya rota homi rotakwa i yesu biwada ritonega kikiweya nnabiro iri nabiro noono nile sarwoda niwara sarwoda niwara yesu nitingamalo Nabido, eating, a beer, no, 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 yes, are woda. malo. May
0: God bless you.
2: I'm glad but a little bit sad because all the technology of this world can fail us. Only God cannot fail us. My DVD can't play. But I'm not not worried about that because I'm here to represent God and represent the part where we serve the Lord and tell the story. There's a great story in what the Lord has been doing and is continuing to do in where we are serving in Burkina Faso and Mali. Uh, we are Kenyans, Mary and I are Kenyans, we were born in Kenya, East Africa, we were raised up in that country, we went to school in that country, but then the Lord called us and sent us to go outside of our culture, and we have gone to many different countries, and at, at now we are in, serving in the two countries of Burkina Faso and Mali. But before I tell that great story, you have seen I've just removed that, because I'm an African who is used to jumping and dancing, and these things will not hold well on my ears. That's why I put that thing down, so you bear with me. Uh, you can still hear me from this. And uh, again, my, my voice is more than a stadium, even without the speakers. God gave me th- that voice. But before I tell the great story, let me share with you the story of stories. The story that has created the story that I'm going to tell you. The story that has made me be who I am. The story that has made me come into this country. The story that has brought me in Oregon, in John Day City. The story is about what Jesus said. And these were his last words that were written down by Matthew in the book of Matthew. The last part of the book of Matthew that is found in the book in the chapter 28, verses 16 onwards, the greatest story of all that is ending the book of Matthew. And this is what it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. These were the last words that Jesus spoke in the New Testament in the Gospels. These were his last words that are recorded, as we can see by the writer Matthew putting them in his book. And Matthew has decided to put them in the last chapter, the last page, and these are the last sentences in the book. But before I continue with this story, I want us to look at the story before that. What had happened that made Matthew to bring this story and made Jesus to come and meet with the disciples? This story is following a fateful week, a week that people were scared, people were running here and there, a week that the soldiers and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees were rejoicing in, because they knew and thought they had stopped the new movement that Jesus had started. But a week that was sad for the disciples, a week that the followers of Jesus Christ were not happy about, a week that that the followers of Jesus Christ were running away and hiding and locking themselves in rooms. They didn't want themselves to be seen because they feared for their lives. The disciples were running away from the people whom they were running to when they were with Jesus Christ. This was a fateful week, a terrible time in the history of our church, but a successful time for us because we can say that was the week that has brought us to be here together. A week that brought us the greatest success. A week that brought the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. But when we look at the disciples during this week, what were they doing and where were they? I can imagine and put myself in their shoes. The disciples were now running away from the same people they were going to when they were with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they feared for their lives. They were running away because they thought They themselves would also be killed. And them being very fearful, they were now surrounding themselves with Peter. Because Peter was their leader, their spokesperson. The one who could jump up when Jesus asked questions. The one who could stand up very quickly and demonstrate that he knew more than the others. They were running with him still. Even though during Jesus' time, Peter would stand up and defend all that he thought he was defending. They were now running towards the sea, each one of them asking themselves why. I can imagine with Matthew the banker, the one who was working with finances, asking himself why did I have to follow this man. For three years I abandoned my family. I abandoned my job. I abandoned my friends and followed this man who is no more. Peter who was working at the seashore, fishing and selling fish to support his family would still ask himself, why? The man we have given our lives to, the one we had surrendered and left everything for, is now laying in a borrowed tomb. He left us with nothing. There is nothing the Lord had left for them. He didn't even leave them with any message. He could accept to go to the cross without even telling them anything. No hope left with the disciples. Why did they have to follow him? Why did he accept to be killed, wasn't he? God with all the powers to say no. I can imagine what the papers, the newspapers of the day, the headlines of the newspapers the man who was raising the dead is now dead. The one who could heal the sick is no more. The one who started a new sect, a new movement is no more. And the sect is done with, it's finished. I can't just tell. What the the, the newspapers was showing that day. But then I can put myself in the shoes of the disciples. How much they were suffering. How much they were fearful. And now they could even run away from their family members. They had no answers to give to their family members. Peter, why did you leave me? Can you imagine how his wife would ask him, Why did you abandon us? You followed him for three years. Thinking that you are more successful. Where is he now? Their friends whom they had abandoned were now asking them questions that they didn't even have the answers for. Why? Where is he? Where is your man? The disciples were now miserable. Running, going to hide. With Peter, they are running back to the sea. They had no hope. No hope for the disciples because their Lord was no more. Just laying in a borrowed tomb. If he had everything, if he had all the powers if he was really god why did he have to leave them like that but then at the point of need when their hope was shattered they had nothing else to do now just following peter for not to give them guidance then the lord appears and the lord tells them listen i am here again i know what you're going through you go to the mountain of Galilee, and wait for me there. I'm coming again to speak with you. Go there and wait for me. And I'm going to give you instructions. And that is where we find this writing coming in. That is where we find this great commission, Jesus giving to his disciples. Go and wait for me. I'm coming there to meet with you. I know what you are going through. I know the problem in which you are. I know how much you have given your lives to me. I know how you surrendered your families. You left your friends. You left your businesses and your jobs. I know you followed me. I want you to go once again to meet with me. But we see in the, in the, in the book here, some, when they go there, some doubted. Would we say that they did a bad thing to doubt? I would try to put myself in the shoes of those who doubted. Because can you imagine the disciples? They touched God. They talked with God. They ate with God. They slept with God. They were always with Jesus Christ, their God. They were in a better position than us today because they, he would shake their hands. They knew who God and they would do anything with him. They experienced the practical part, seeing God doing everything. But still, still, when Jesus left them and went to the cross, They lost all hope and thought their world was finished. They had nowhere even to put their heads. And I can imagine how they were now shameless. They had a lot of shame in their community and in their village and with their families and with friends. The disciples had no hope. But now when the Lord tells them, you go to the mountain of Galilee and wait for me there. I know how much some of them are still afraid because they could still ask themselves, I had walked with him for three years. I had been in his class for three years. I have been with him and he abandoned me like that. What is he telling me again? Even if I go there to the mountain, what will he leave with me? He will still leave me the same way he left me and went to the cross. He will still give up and leave himself in the hands of this enemy. Peter encourages them. I can imagine how Peter was encouraging them. Let's just go. He's the same Lord with the same powers and with the same authority. Let's go and meet him. Peter encouraging the disciples and telling them, let's just go and meet him again. Let's meet him once more. And then they all walk to the mountain. Some say, I can't believe it. I can't believe he's the one. They think about their past. They think about what they have left behind. They think about their families that they had abandoned. They think of their friends that they had left behind. They think of their jobs that they had left to follow this man. They doubt him. Jesus tells them, I know what you are going through. I know the situation in which you are. And I know what it is. But Jesus goes on and tells them, listen to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They still doubt that. What has that got to do with them? Because even if he has the authorities, he still had them, but left us and went to the went to the cross. They had all the rights to complain and doubt and not to trust anymore. Jesus knew what was lacking in them. Jesus knew what they missed inside them. Jesus knew what they needed to continue with the new ministry. Jesus had come to start a movement. Not just a society. He came to start a movement. He didn't just come to start a place like like, like a party where people would come and and rejoice for a short time. He he came to start a movement that would shake the world. A movement that would touch all corners of the earth. A, A movement that never neglected any society. A movement that never said we don't like so and so. A movement that had no boundary. This is what Jesus came to start. And then he tells his disciples "Listen, I'm going to give you all it takes. I am going to give you all it takes to touch all corners of the world. You will never be able to go to all nations unless you have all it takes. Folks, that is where our point should be. That is where we should be based that if really we are going to accept what Jesus promised the disciples, then I believe the church today should be able to continue writing the book of Acts. Because that's where it started and the world would not understand. The people of that community at that time would not be able to explain and understand the real meaning of that movement. It was a movement that was started in a way that man could not explain. And that day when Jesus told them to go, he told them, I know what you lack, I know what you miss, but I'm going to give you exactly that. You go to the upper room and wait for me there. Because I'm sending you to all corners of the earth, I'm sending you to go to all nations, but I know the equipment that I want to give you, that you need to go to those areas. Jesus knew what the church that he had just started needed to go and attack the enemy on the front line. It wasn't going to be an easy business. It was a business that was going to attack Satan who was against what Jesus came to do. He struggled with Jesus. He tried him for 40 days. He did not succeed. He came and wanted to finish him on the cross. He He could not succeed. He thought he had put him in the grave and he thought he was going to stop that movement, but he could not succeed. And Jesus knew exactly what the disciples needed that this movement would continue. And you see folks today, if we are really the descendants, if we are really the products of that movement and we don't see that power that Jesus promised the church, then there is something wrong in the church today. It seems to me and to many people that we are destined to fail. But Jesus said, I am going to give you the right ammunition that will knock Satan down. I'm going to give you the right ammunition that Satan won't be able to resist. And this is what he told them to go and take in the upper room. The 120 who said, yes, we are going to do as Peter was still convincing them. Folks, let's just go. He has told us he's going to give us all it takes to do the job. Some still doubting and worried and afraid, but Peter tells them, folks, wait, listen here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's just go. It's another business. It's a new dawn for us. Let's go. He has said we go. And they went to the upper room to take all it they needed. To take all they needed to turn this world upside down. They needed that. And Jesus knew what they needed. They could not attack the world without this ammunition. They could not face the world again unless they had what Jesus wanted to give them. And this is what the church needs today. And now the church says, yes, we are going to take this. We are not going to change this world. And they went to the upper room. They all went there. And they waited patiently. And when that power came, you can read that in the book of Acts. I'm not going to read that. But when that power came, what did we see? The song that we are singing with Mary, they could hear, that we could hear them in our own language. The Americans would hear them in English. The Luans would hear them in Lua, The Armenians would hear them in their language. The people from different tribes would hear them speaking in their own language. A power that God himself can give to the church to reach the whole world. The first miracle in the church. God speaking to people in their different languages. People heard the message. And that was the start of the greatest movement that Jesus created himself when the church started. Folks, but when we look at ourselves today, the church is the same church that Peter stood up. And when Peter stood up, we see the first sermon, in the first sermon, when people were coming together in Jerusalem and they had come there for their parties, in the first sermon itself, maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes, we are not told in the Bible how, how long it took. 3,000 came to join them, surrendered their lives and said, yes, we believe in this message. Wasn't that a great movement started in just a minute? Isn't that the real movement that God wants to see in the church today? Isn't that what God wants to see us do when we continue with the, When we say we are members of that, that movement, God is interested in this movement to continue. And there's no time God wants us to stop and start saying we we want to be comfortable where we are. Yes, we have been sent and we are there to fight a life and death battle with a sin that wants to remind us of the past and wants to keep us nagging and wants to keep us arguing and we we forget what the essential is and we keep arguing and keeping ourselves in the non-essential. God's call for the church folks it's for us to reach the lost world and bring them back to Jesus Christ. It's not all about what we are doing in the church today. It's not all about what the church is involved in today. I want to take us back to the AD to the, the 10, 12, 13, 14, when all this mess started. You look at that. You see it in the book I'm writing about evangelism. When the mess started and confusion started in the church. They started arguments about the theology and the misunderstanding and the who knows what in the word of God. That is when Satan started confusing the church and the church has been kept up to now. Today we are kept at a corner while Satan is taking as many as he can with him to hell. He's not ready to go alone in hell. He wants to take so many. And that's why today you look at the church today. You know we are involved in many other things that are not beneficial to God. And this I call them the non essentials. And we are kept arguing and reasoning, and we think we know all, and we think we know more. And the church has left the lane where they should be running, and the church is arguing on things that are not mattering to God. Oh, Freddy, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I just said this in the Sunday school class today. You go to our beautiful churches, the churches where we have spent millions of dollars. I saw one in London. A beautiful church with all the facilities, everything that is needed. A church has become a museum. And we still call ourselves Christians. Why then should we waste all that money to build and put up things that are not benefiting God and then they become museums? The church is today engaged in things that are not beneficial to God. God is only interested in the lost souls, not in the beauty of the church. God wants people from Africa. God wants people from Australia, from Central and South America, from Europe. God wants people from Iran and Iraq. God wants every soul back to heaven. Not on what we can do in our buildings and talk about the comfort. Man is confined by Satan, and Satan has kept man in the church, and we keep doing things that are not going to help God, and that's where we are focused on. Time has come, folks. That we must start thinking about the most essential in the ministry where we are called to. I want to be careful about time because uh, it's only 10 minutes to midday. And the pastor said here that midday they should be going away with the youths. But I want to let you know this is so different to me because in Africa, when a pastor stands in the pulpit, people will be seated until the pastor finishes. But here you look at the water and you talk about time. I'm sorry about this. But I'll take just, just a few minutes, even though I will go back with some stories. God wants us to base ourselves and concentrate in the essentials that will bring one more person to the kingdom of God. Why do I talk about this one? I remember the, the days when Mary and I made a decision to leave our country to move out of our culture. I had served God for five years as a pastor in my country. I thought that was beneficial and that was so good. I served God for six years as a district president in the Church of the Day in my country. I thought that was so successful. I served God as a mission coordinator in my country, and I thought that was so successful. But God kept telling me, Friday, I want you to get one more person for me. One more person. Don't dwell on the many you have done. Don't dwell on what you did yesterday. Don't dwell on the people you have reached. Dwell on now and tomorrow. Because the people outside are more than the people you think you have. I'm talking about this like what I said in the Sunday school class. Even today, you come to our church, and you go to our records in Kansas City. We are talking about 1. Point something million. What is that before God? How many people are there on earth? If God has called the church of the Nazarene to bring the whole world back to God, then what are we doing for the many years we have been there? Singing holiness, shouting it, But we are not leaving it. Time has come with the changes in this world. That the world is looking for a people they can look at and say, what I see in their life is what will attract me. Not what they tell me. People want to see today. Don't we change the tactic today and come to the point where we can say, we want the people, the world, to see us instead of hearing from us. The world with its tactics, with the new technology, with the things that are changing, the world is looking for a people that can have a spark, that can attract them, so that they come and find out what has happened in the church of the Nazarene. Let's go and see inside that church. Look at the people who are coming from that church. The world is looking for a people with a testimony that they can see, a testimony they can touch, a testimony they can't believe in because they have not been told, because people are talking things they don't believe. The things that come out of people's mouths are not the real things inside them. And the world is very clever, they have known that. That is why we as a church, we are failing. People say, oh, Friday, no, you are not right. I, I, I believe we are failing. If I'm wrong, look beside you. Look at the pews you have here. Where are the people who sit on them? You spend millions of money to buy them. Go to Washington, D.C., go to many other churches. They have spent millions of money to build big buildings, but nobody is coming to sit on those pews. The world wants to see today. They don't want want just hear from us. And it is our responsibility. It's our time to accept the, the reality and say, God, we are sorry. We want you to help us to find the reality. And you know what? The reality is just a near way. Just in near way, we have at our disposal all it takes to bring back the world to Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, that power that God promised the disciples, that He sent the disciples to us. We have at our disposal today, and that's when we shall be an effective church for Jesus Christ. So, in short and very fast. We, we decided in the year 2002 to leave our country to go outside our country. We went to Kansas City for training, and then in, 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 in October 2002, we went into Ethiopia. That is the no- northern part of, of Kenya, if you look at the African map. When we went into Ethiopia, for, 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 and then we went to our leader, and then the leader said to me, Friday, you are going to be a district for five districts. I said, What are you talking about? I was a D.S. in my, my country, Kenya, for 60 years. I led the church from 50 churches in 60 years to 149. Oh, God, help me not to talk about the past. Those are not going to help me, God. I want to concentrate on, on now and tomorrow. That's where my dear, listen. From every district, I'm going to take one person, and I'm going to have the first five people come for training. I want to move as quickly as I can to leave this job to them. So in two weeks, I tell Mary, open your sitting room, your living room. It's going to be a classroom to train these people. Oh, Friday, are we going to have a classroom school in my house? Oh, yes, Mary. Yes, sure, we're going to have a classroom now. In the year 2002, in the month of November, I started a classroom in Mary's living room. I brought five people who were bringing them for two weeks in our house, giving them two courses, and then they go back for three months, retake the courses, and plug tickets, and read and read, and then come back for another two courses, and then they go back again, retake the courses for three months, they come back in 28 months. I'm sorry you would have seen that in the DVD, but I'm sorry. It is your technology, not my technology. Me, I only bought the DVD. It has played in churches, it played in North Dakota, it played in Alabama, it played in, in, in Idaho, it is not playing here. So it's not my mistake. In 28 months, these people had graduated from the courses that they needed that led them to ordination. Then we had to call the former generalist man, Dr. Jim Pond, Jolene Bond, Emborn, come, come and see what we have seen. And when the jealous man came into Ethiopia, I was looking at the eyes as he was going to ordain these first five people. As he ordained the first five people, I knew what I was headed to. I was going to lose my job. I was a DS for five districts. He's ordaining five people. They are going to take my job. Then I looked at the eyes of my wife. As Jim Bond ordained them and appointed them to be the DS. I told Mary, Mary, I've lost my job. And I thank God, I said, God, thank you. Because I know the vow I made with you, God, is the exact vow. I have to come and find them. I have to come and find the unreached. I have to nurture them. I have to train them and then release them to go back into their villages to go and do the exact things I will be doing here. So on that day, I looked at the eyes of my boss and told him, Sir, I have finished my job here in Ethiopia. And then what do you want to do now? You're headed to Sudan. A country which is 100% Islam. A country in war for 20 years with the rebels from the south, coming from Juba, fighting with the Arabs in the north. A country with the greatest number of refugees in the world a country that has sent almost over 100,000 in every country of the, co- of the whole world. They told me, you can't go to Sudan. Sudan is dangerous. Sudan is pretty I told my field director, I have to go to Sudan. He said, no, you can't go. I told him, tell your boss that I want to go. He had to tell the regional director from South Africa. Regional director said no, you can't go there, it is dangerous. I told him if you say I can't go, you go to your boss and tell him I have to go. The regional director had to go to Dr. Louis Bussell, our former world mission director. (laughs) And the board of Jealous friends, they had to say yes because they thought I was mad. Let him go, but tell him this Friday, your life is in your hands. I praise the Lord. My life is in my heart. I knew exactly my life cannot be in my heart. My life is in the hands of God. So I don't care about the danger. I don't care about the Muslims. I don't care about the, the place they call insecure. Because I knew who called me to serve him. But I'm not going to tell you how we enter in that country because you may think we are not sanctified. But we entered into that country. I had to go to the refugee camp in a place called Gambella. I took three boys from there who were Sudanese. We took them with us into Khartoum. And I told them, find some more Sudanese here. And they told me there are other students from the university here. I told them, we have got five DVDs, Jesus film DVDs. We are going to use it in your dormitories under the beds to reach these people they call Muslims. And I want you to go to the refugee camps where we have over one million people in the camps near the city of Khatoum. And I want you to reach the people who are working as slaves in the houses of these Arabs. I want you to go to them. And the DVDs were corrupted. And when you open the DVD, the first thing that would come on the script is corn-growing techniques. We have stopped Satan. They won't see what we had in the DVD. They had to have sacred cords to go into the Jesus film. But the boys started the work aggressively, going down under their beds, showing the film to their fellow colleagues. In one year, as I had already talked with Mary and told Mary, open your house again as a classroom. Mary said, Friday, now I'm used to your words. Use the house as you want. Our first fifteen folks that we got in Sudan. Who are going to the university? They were going to the new camps. They were meeting with the people who were working as slaves and they were preaching to them the message of Jesus Christ. But you know what they gave me in that country? When they gave me permission to work in that country, they gave me what you call here CIA. We call them CID. Am I worthy to have a bodyguard, a CID to be a bodyguard for me? That's what I called the man. But they thought they were scaring me. They were intimidating me. They were stopping me. They thought they were going to stop the course of the message of Jesus Christ. But actually, this man was following me. I didn't know him. I didn't even see him. But he knew exactly where I went every day, every minute of my life. In two weeks, I had to go and report to the government. And they would tell me everything I did in two weeks. But first, let me tell you one thing. When you take God as God, when we move in God's power, when we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself is going to do that job. The country they had called creative says, the country they said insecure, the country they called Islamic, that is the country that God harvested in one year. 400 churches in one year. And eight underground churches where their boys whom they claim to be Muslims were meeting in eight different churches underground. God. did it. When I saw this, I started the new trick. I said, God, this is going to work. But before that, you know what happened? The peace was signed between the the river government, the river people, and the government, they came to sign peace. And my people started telling me, now, we are going to run down to our country in the south. We are leaving this place. We are no longer going to be in the refugee camp. We have to go down to our country. And I told them, listen, when you go down to the south, don't look for a church. I don't want any of you to find a church. Oh, Friday, are you telling people not to go to church? Yes, I told them not to go to church. Don't go and look for a church. But, where you go, you are going to start a church. But don't look for another church. That created a movement that when I called Dr. Louis Bastler and told him, Louis, do you know what is happening here? I he told him Friday, I know. When God stretches his hand, nobody can stop God. In three years, with these people going down, migrating from the north, going to the south, in three years, we saw 1,000 churches with almost 100,000 in worship attendance. A movement started by God himself. A movement similar to that one that took place on the first day when we saw the disciples coming from the upper room. God can do it. And God wants to do it today. When I saw that, then we had to call Jealousman Dr. Jerry Potter. Jerry Potter, you come to Sudan and see what we have seen. Come and see. Jerry said, no, Friday, that place is dangerous. I told him, but I'm here. But he said, okay, I'm going to come. Jerry Potter flew all the way to Nairobi, Kenya. And in Nairobi, we chartered a plane with a muff. A plane to fly in between the trees to go and land in the jungle of southern Sudan. We went and landed in the jungle of Zone, and in that field, football field where we landed. When Jerry Potter came out of the, this small plane, he looked around and saw the people and told asked me, Friday, what do we do? I told him, do what God wants you to do. You know what he did? He said, this country is going to be four districts today. Four church districts today. And then he appointed the DSS. And then he appointed the first mission coordinator, and I lost my job again. (laughs) When I lost my job, (laughs) I was crying. I had the the tears of joy in me. Seeing the people who would go back to their own communities, the people I raised, the people I trained, the people I'm now releasing to do the job in their own community. They went back, and we flew back into Nairobi. I went and told Mary, Mary, no more job. Mary knew what we were headed to. We are going to get another job. God is always ready to give us. And that is the year 2009 when we were told now go to West Africa. And that's where we are today. And in 2009, in October, as we entered into the country of Burkina Faso, the church was started there by people who were moving from Cote d'Ivoire and coming and starting the work there because of their relatives but there was no proper leadership and guidance. I'm just going to finish in a short time, Paul. Don't worry. So after two weeks, I told my wife, I have identified the guys we are going to train as leaders. do Mary, Mary. Open your house again. And she opened the house. And we started exactly in 2009 to train the first five Bukinabe. I'm glad my friends here came and saw that. You saw them at you the day you were graduating them. You gave them the Bible. It doesn't take a missionary more than three years to train people. I've seen it happen. It happened in Ethiopia. It happened to me in Sudan. When I went into Burkina Faso, it has taken me three years again. Last year, the guys were graduating. I looked at their eyes, and I knew what was going to happen to me again. I was shedding tears of joy as I looked at them, and they graduated in May last year, and that June, June following May, when they graduated, then I started looking beyond Burkina Faso, and then I started working in Mali. Mali is 96% Muslims. You walk around, you see everybody in a room. They scare you with their clothes, and you think, oh, these are all Muslims. They are not. That is the scary tactic of Satan to threaten us. Then, when it came October, we had to call Dr. Graves, our jealous brunette. We told him, Dr. Graves, come to Burkina Faso and see what we have seen. Come and see what God has showed us. Dr. Graves came last year in October and he ordained the first Burkina Bay people. In the church of the Nazar, I looked at their eyes, and I knew what, uh, what was happening with me. I lost my job again. <laughs> I told Doctor, Doctor Graves, "Can you appoint one of them to be the a DS today?" Told me on Friday, no, we don't have just this assembly today where we do appointment. Don't okay, it's only three months. So at the end of January, this, January this year, at the end of, it, I read the letter appointing Reverend Joseph Chenrebego I wish you could see him dancing the african dance the dance we are going to dance in heaven i wish you could see that today Joseph T. Rebego is now he has taken my job the new district brilliant in the country of Burkina Faso folks as i saw that happening starting to happen last year he started work in Mali, Mali is 96% Muslims, but I forced these four guys here to go with me to Mali. These guys went with us there. They saw what that country is. Sometimes we could keep them in their rooms and they could not come out of their rooms because of the danger in that country. I didn't want your, your boys and girls here to be killed in Africa. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't bring them back. <laughs> Folks, we started work in Mali. And that work has to continue. And I want to tell you in quickly, in, in a short time, it, we, God gave us money in February and we purchased land, land, empty land in, in Mali, in, in, in Bamako. I know what, the, the day we got the papers for that land, I took the Jesus' film and we were showing Jesus' film. I know what they did to us. They were throwing rocks at us from all corners. Because the land we bought, on this side of the land, a Muslim. On this side of the land, a Muslim. On this side of the land, a Muslim. Only the gate, there's no Muslim. They think we have invaded them in their territory. But we've got to do that. That's what God wants us to do. So the, the challenge we are faced with now, as I conclude, is to fence that land. To put a fence on that land. God gave us some small money and we have put up a classroom. But we need a library. We need a store. We need geometries on that land. We need a water well on that land. We need to drill water for them so they can use when they come for training. I am not going to ask me to open our house again because that country has made it impossible for us to move inside there. So we are to stay one hour from the border in a town called Bobo, I will be driving only 11 hours to enter into that city and to continue the training. And we are praying that we can find an army of people who can join us in this movement that we are going to create in the country of Mali. And I'm asking somebody who is not afraid to join us in this movement. That's why we are here now. In September, I'm going back into Burkina Faso and I'm going to move my property from Ouagadougou into Bobo, waiting for my wife to come two weeks Later, in October end, we are going to start our first session there. But I don't have a place for them. I don't have a kitchen for them. I don't have a dormitory for them. I don't have water for them. I need to fence that land or else they're going to throw more rocks at us. Looking for people that are ready to make this army be a real army. Where Jesus Christ, our commander-in-chief, is in front of us and he wants us to move. And I'm already going to be there in the front line facing Satan head on. I'm ready. I'm looking for friends who can pray with us. I'm not saying all of you should stand up and go with me to Africa. No. I want you to keep on your knees here. Keep praying for that part of the world. Keep praying that the Lord can create a movement that looks like that one that he did in Sudan. Folks, we are capable of incredible things if we really want them to be. We are capable. The church is capable. All we need is to stay positive and accept the reality and believe that we have all it takes to do it. Let's take pride in who we are and whom we are standing for. We are standing for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the God who wants us to go with him. And I want to tell you that when we made a vow with Mary, we made a vow that when we go to heaven, I am going to walk with one million people with me into heaven. Friday, are you serious? Are you crazy? One million? Yes, I mean one and six zeros. I want to walk with them in front of Jesus Christ. But Friday, how are you going to get them? Yes, I'm going to get them. My number is almost reaching there. The people I trained in Kenya, Everyone they touch, that is part of my one million. The people I train in Ethiopia, everyone they touch is part of one, my one million. The people I train in Sudan, everyone they touch is part of one, my, my one million. And in Burkina Faso and Mali. Do you want to have a share in that? Do you want to have a share in having a people with you into heaven? I don't want your party in heaven to be spoiled. I want to remind you because I know when you go to heaven, you will see this tall African man standing in front of you speaking with you. You will see me in your DVD in heaven. You will. And you will not have any excuse. I'm just reminding you now. We are capable of doing it. And let's join hands together. Let's forget about all that is taking place around because the things, the fear, the war, the malaria, and the sicknesses that we fear, those ones will never end. If you are waiting for the war in Iraq to end, it will not end. If you are waiting for recession to end, it will not end in your lifetime. Let's do what we can to bring one more soul for Jesus Christ. That's all we are called to do. And I want to be there in the front line. And the person I touch there, let you have a share in the person I touch in Mali. Like I have share in the people that I have trained in those other different countries. <coughs> lastly, The future of John Day is in your hands. I want you to know that. The future of your neighbor is in your hands. Because one day when you go to heaven, you start dancing in heaven in front of Jesus Christ because you kept your faith, you kept your salvation and sanctification, and you start dancing in front of Jesus Christ. When you look at the other corner of heaven, then you see John, who was your neighbor. You refuse to go to him, and you say, I don't like him. I don't like that guy. I hate him. He's going to slam the door at me. Who is going to tell him if you don't tell him? The future of your neighbor is in your hands. The future of this city is in your hands. The future of This state is in your hands. The future of America is in your hands. What do you do about it? The future of Africa, the future of the country where I am, is in your hands. You've got to do something about it. The Christians must aggressively act now and not tomorrow so that we can bring a revolution for Jesus Christ on this earth. Not a revolution of the AK-47 but a revolution of bringing all the world back to Jesus Christ. We can't just stand still. We have got to respect the past, honor the present, but more than anything else we've got to look into the future. But when we go there we have got people going with us to celebrate with us in front of God. Folks, don't come to heaven alone. Touch one life and bring them with you. And if I don't see you soon, let's meet there. I come with a million, come with one. God bless you. Thank you.